Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast dedicated to all the things no one wants to talk about in real life. It is September 2nd, which is Labor Day. The last time I recorded, I was just about to go to Virginia to see my family, and a lot has happened since then. The trip went really well. It was so good to be with all six of my siblings for the first time in years. We had a lot of fun. I got to hang out with my younger siblings in particular. When I left the house at 18, they were all super, super young. So now they're all adults and so cool and well-adjusted. Like, how does that even happen? Um, It was also stressful being with my family, as I'm sure many of you can imagine. But all in all, it was a good trip. Obviously, I recorded an amazing podcast episode with my sister-in-law, Abby, which you will hear very soon. But before I launch into that, I wanted to share something that's happened since I got back, which is I finally got a new job. I have been working for the same coffee company for six years, and they've treated me really well, but having just completed my bachelor's degree, it was time for a change, and I've been job searching on and off since I moved to Seattle, but finally, last week, I was able to land a marketing job with a catering company, so I'm really excited to be starting this new chapter in my life. Uh, My first day of training is tomorrow, and I'm a little nervous, but mostly excited. I'll let you guys know how it goes for sure. But yeah, this week's episode is a fun one. Abby will be talking about her Filipino background and what it was like growing up in that culture and how mental health was discussed and a bunch of other fun stuff. We give you guys a challenge at the end of the episode, so you're going to want to stay tuned to hear that. Whatever your Labor Day plans are, I hope you guys stay safe and have fun, but not too much fun because otherwise tomorrow will be a rude awakening. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I really hate summer, so September is one of my favorite months because it marks the end of the hot, nasty season. And call me basic, but I'm just really excited for sweaters and hot soup and turning my heater on and all that good stuff. Let me know if you agree. Are you team summer or team fall? Maybe I should make a poll in my Instagram because, you know, that's definitely a relevant topic to mental health, right? Anyway, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And as always, feel free to hit me up if you have a topic you want to hear about, if you have any thoughts about an episode, or if you just want to say hi. All right, here is my conversation with Abby. So yeah, it's recording. Hi, this is Abby. Do I introduce myself? Oh, I was going to introduce you, but if you want to jump the gun, that's fine. Oh no, you can introduce me. (laughs) Well, now I feel like I'm on the spot. (laughs) Well, I feel like I'm on the spot. Okay, fair enough. So Abby is my sister-in-law. Hi. I married her first brother. Uh, two years ago, as of yesterday. Yes, but we met like four years ago in college. So I've known Abby like a couple years, but only recently been getting to know you pretty well, I would say. Yeah, I definitely started, um, well, like when I met Andrew, he already told me all about all his siblings and I actually had to learn all of you guys. Like, There's six of us, by the way. Yeah, so he was like telling me like the first few weeks we started dating, like, hey, I have six other siblings and okay, so who are they and what are their names and who, like, what are they like? And Andrew told me, Andrew's my husband, his his brother, his sister. <laughs> Andrew is the brother below me in the birth order. He's married to Abby. He's child number two. So I married child number two and Christina is child number one. Yeah. <laughs> so when, like, I met Andrew and he was telling me about you, like, he was, like, describing you as, like, the cool older sister he looked up to and, like, oh my god, the, like, motorcycle riding badass. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, I want to meet her someday. And then when we finally did, like, I was so excited, but, like, I was, like, a little nervous. You and then... Found out that I'm just a mess. <laughs> no! Like, you're, like, a cool mess. But, like, who isn't a mess? True that. We're all, like, wonderful messes. Already dropping pearls of wisdom. If you're not a mess, then are you really a person? It's true. You see somebody, like, on the street, and they're, like, you talk to them, and they're, like, they don't have a personality, and it's, like, who are you? Okay, so I've been living in Seattle for eight months now, and one thing I've noticed is that everyone is 
polite but not friendly like everyone's nice in a pretty fake passive aggressive way yeah like they try to get by the day without like getting into conflict with people yeah it's kind of unsettling because i have lived many years in the south where it's the opposite like the southern hospitality thing i mean i lived in the south for a while too like to give myself some background like i'm filipino so i was born in the philippines and then i moved to the states when i was five but i grew up in like chester virginia which is like in the middle of nowhere it's like the suburbs and it was kind of like that area where you would go to a neighborhood and you'd see everyone who would speak in like that southern drawl and have that like southern hospitality kind of personality but then you go to a different neighborhood and it would just be like all the ethnicities like you'd find like the filipino ethnicities like the mexican ethnicities it's like the hot pot of the suburbs but with like southern people did you feel like people were pretty transparent i mean i don't know like i grew up there like, growing up with, like, Filipino parents, like, when I came here, I didn't know a lot of English. And when you are a foreigner, like, an immigrant, and you don't know English, but, like, you start at a young age, they make you go through this thing called ESL, which is called English as a Second Language. Mm-hmm. And what it is is they they try to help you, like, understand English. But I don't know, like, how it works because... I remember when I was going through it, I was the only Filipino girl, and, like, everyone else in my class were, like, Mexican, Mm -hmm. so I don't know how that worked. Like, they didn't know any Filipinos, so, like, with the public education system, there's not really a lot you can do in terms of, like, incorporating everyone with, like, special needs and, like, disabilities and, like, special, like, language. Right, especially if it's a smaller community like that, Mm -hmm. where there might be only one Filipino child. But the thing is, where I grew up, I grew up in Chesterfield County, which is a big ass county which like so there's like let me see like there's like 13 elementary schools like 14 middle schools like seven high schools so like it was a program in place it was pretty good but i mean this was 2002 so this was like right after 9-11 and everyone was kind of wary of immigrants at that point like my family and i were lucky even to just get visas to just live here because how we went through the process was like, my aunt, or my great-aunt, I guess, my, my dad's aunt, um, she was already living in Virginia. So what they do is, my understanding is, they get a visa for their family member to come to the United States. And we would get a green card, I think, and then we would be in the process of getting citizenship. So that's what my family did, and I didn't get a citizenship until I was 15, so it took 10 years. Damn. But it's also really expensive, so I think we could have gotten it faster, but we just didn't have enough money for it. So you have to pay to expedite the process. Yeah, you have to be living in the States for at least five years, but that was back then. I don't know what they are like now. So back then, when I got my citizenship, I was 15, but I think the minimum you have to be a resident is five years, and then you can start the process of citizenship. I didn't really have to do much because I was like a minor so mm-hmm. I think it's like different but for my parents they had to like take a test of like this history test or like I don't know it's like it's like a patriotic test which I've like, heard about this it's test. kind of really creepy like the way they do it because my mom had to study about like the presidents and the history and like all like the quote-unquote like good stuff that happened in the United States oh. and not like nothing they had to memorize were about like the genocide. The, the genocide, <laughs> the slavery, nothing. Yeah. Like, the tobacco. No, like, they just had to know, like, who's George Washington? Who's Abraham Lincoln? They just had to take, like, a really quick test. And then if they pass, then they can swear in and be a citizen. Honestly, I'm not surprised because that's pretty much how the public school system works. It like, is. And also, I, I can't imagine it's gotten any better since 2002. Yeah, and, like, the thing with um, American... Um, public education is like like you were homeschooled right so basically like your parents could pick whatever they wanted you to learn as long as it was in the bounds of what was required yeah but like in the the public school system like they could um do basically the same thing only they had more requirements and obviously like there was a lot of parents like it's like a more under scrutiny like with private schools I think they have a lot more um, freedom of what education they want as long as the parents want it. But with the public schools, they have to, it's a lot of bureaucracy because 
it's a public system so it's like the federal government is involved the public education system is involved so what you are learning is not what the government doesn't want you learning then you don't learn it gotcha like for example I remember it was a requirement in my high school that in the public school um, before you graduated high school that you had to take economics. Economics seems like something you sh- that should be taught to everyone. It is, I'm and surprised. I think I learned a lot of important stuff in economics, but the thing is, like, it was like playing house. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a laissez-faire, like, he's a democracy, like, here's a socialist kind of, like, economy, mm-hmm. like, and this is what we do, and here's the type of banks. But like, um, I vaguely remember that they don't teach you how to balance a checkbook. They don't tell you how to budget. They don't tell you how to like actually make a bank account. Like, yeah. it's kind of like up to whoever is raising you, which is a terrifying thought. It is so <laughs> terrifying because, um, let me tell you, like my parents were not the smartest with money. Okay, okay, wait. Um, so <laughs> okay, this is like going on a tangent. I know, I love it, but we need to stay focused. Okay, well, like, I'm to- I'm totally leading up to like my my history. Okay. So I went through the public education system. And like I said, it's, like, really uh, bureaucratic. So whatever, like, I learned was what the government wanted me to know. Also, growing up in an Asian household, I already knew what was happening with the world. And it didn't help the fact that, like, I was um, a first-generation immigrant. Right. So my parents lived in the Philippines. Like, everyone in my family is Filipino. I'm a full-fledged Filipino. But, like, my English... I learned basically from the beginning so that's why like you don't really hear an accent from me and when people talk to me they're like oh you have such a great English accent and I'm like oh well I guess it's because I grew up here (laughs) it's just like growing up in America as a first generation Filipino and just like a non-white Caucasian person especially as a woman in the south as a woman I had an older brother and he was about like a year and a half older than me, that he was a man. And Filipino households, or at least in my family, my I felt like my mom, no matter what I did, she preferred my brother. And that's a Filipino thing? I don't, I think it's just an Asian thing in general. Okay. Um, but just for my family, like every family is different, like a little bit, but like the cultural aspect is the male firstborn son is always preferred. Because, you know, they carry on the family name and stuff like that. And, like, the woman doesn't. And, like, you know, just years and years of misogyny. Like, the woman was basically, like, sold off. And, like, historically, she was an object. Yeah. My mom wasn't very progressive. Like, she was very traditional. Like, she still used, like, banana leaves when I was sick. Like, she would use, like, it's, I don't know if this is a Filipino thing, but she would, like, use a Vicks VapoRub whenever I got (laughs) sick. Like, oh, I have a headache. Well, yes, let's use VapoRub on that. Like, I have a cold. Like, let's use VapoRub on that. I have an aunt who uses that, but uh, she is not Filipino. (laughs) I mean, it's just, like, like that kind of thing. Like, home remedies and stuff like that. So, she did not know, like, what was right and wrong. It was just what she was taught. She wasn't open at all when I was growing up and like I mean that's changed now but I'll get to that later you're such a good storyteller I love it I like don't have to do any work I'm just like I'm also really curious to just listen to you talk because like I said I don't know a ton about your like background yeah and this is really fun for me yeah and actually it's it's really fun telling because like you know when people ask you how you like where you're from Mm You know when you when someone says like I notice like you're Asian like what kind of Asian are you like Wait, you've had people say that to you? Well, actually I don't mind it. It's okay. actually kind of nice because it's not them assuming like they actually just want to genuinely want to know like where you're from. Okay. So like it's nice to know when people are like, "Hey, like I like where are you from?" Like I really am curious. Are you Chinese? Are you Japanese? I'm like, "Oh, I'm Filipino." And then like the conversation starts from there. And it's, like, a great conversation starter. And I don't think it's racist at all, but people are afraid nowadays because... I mean, you should be able to define that conversation, though. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so, like, growing up, my mom preferred my older brother. All my life, I just had to, like, be better just to be on the same level as him. I had to get straight A's all throughout school, and I did. And whenever I even got, like, even, like, a less than an A, I would get heavily like scolded and like you should study more like you should be like your brother more but the thing is like he was a homebody like he Mm -hmm. played video games all the time he was overweight and he generally did not want to do anything in his life 
And I'm guessing he, he didn't still, get good grades. He still doesn't. He gets okay grades. But they didn't hold him to the like, same he got, standard. He got B's and A's, but, like, when he got a C, like, she'd be like, oh, you'll do better next time. Like, oh don't worry God. about it. But whenever, like, like, God forbid I got a C, like, it was, like, the worst thing that could happen to me. And also, like, I, I wanted to do a lot of things when I was younger, but we didn't have a lot of money. Like, extracurricular stuff? Yeah, like, so he did, my brother did a lot of other stuff, like, outside of school. Like, he did karate or, like, taekwondo, I think. Mm-hmm. And he played clarinet. He was in band. He did ROTC in high school. But me, like, I didn't do anything. Like, I did one year swimming in third grade, and that was it. Like, it was just, like, all about him growing yeah. up. It's it just, like, they had to pick where their resources were diverted, and it, that's the worthy exactly yeah like it's like okay so we have two children i have a son and a daughter but i think my son is more important than her so we're gonna put all our effort into him so he can be like the family man i can't imagine the toll that took on your self-esteem it was a lot and just my self-confidence and my just my self-worth was all because i was a woman and i was a second born like, I just tried all my best to just be the best I could. And I made friends. Like, I was a very sociable person. I was just about to ask, like, what were you like as a kid? I was a very, like, excitable child. I was very extroverted. I made a lot of friends at elementary school. And then, I don't know why, but, like, for some reason, when I hit puberty, I, everything changed. No, it's not an easy time for anyone to begin with, but then no. compared with what you were going through. So, when I hit puberty, it was, like, everything changed after that. Like, my mom would, she would always criticize me. Like, and I'm, I was growing. Like, I had, like acne like I was like getting boobs and like my butt was getting bigger and like all that fun stuff and like it wasn't like I was getting fat it was I was getting bigger and my clothes weren't fitting normal and so since we didn't have a lot of money like I couldn't get new clothes so I'd always have to wear like the clothes I had the year before but since I was going through puberty it felt like I was fat because I wasn't fitting into any more of them and my mom really noticed that and she said like Abby you're getting fat like oh my god you need to lose weight like you're getting acne like you need to eat healthier I'm like but you're the one feeding me yeah you're the one feeding me you're a high schooler you literally don't have any control no I started puberty when I was in fifth grade oh fuck yeah (laughs) so like I was going through that in middle school yeah even less control then I know and so like after that like I tried to make friends but it was just like an awkward time in my life and even more awkward because, like, I didn't know what was happening and my parents, like, didn't know, like, what to do because it was, like, obviously, like, they were in America, they had their own issues, like, they were working 24-7 and as soon as, like, we were old enough to not have a babysitter, like, we were just, like, left alone in the house, like, all the time. Where did like, your dad fit into all this? Um, my dad, like, he did the best he could. Like, he wasn't as overbearing as my mom. And the thing is, like, in, in Filipino culture, like, in Asian culture, like, the man is in charge. But for some reason in my family, my mom was in charge. So, like, he was kind of a yes man. Okay. And I grew up thinking, like, oh, my mom is in charge. It felt like my dad was just there to make the money, and then he would come home and sleep. And, like, I love my dad. Like, every anytime he had a day off, like, when I was a kid... It was, like, the most fun, but also, like, I think, like, as time went on, he just got, like, really tired, like, in his life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how, like, when you work just nonstop, oh, even yeah. for a month, like, you're just so tired and you can't do anything. You just want to go home, eat, and sleep. Yeah. There were, like, those golden times when he wouldn't do that. Like, he would be, like, happy and everything, but most of the time he wasn't really there like, he was there, like, for dinners and stuff, mm-hmm. but, like, you could tell, like, he wasn't there. Like, right, he wasn't present. Yeah, um, for a long time, he was a correction officer at a federal prison, or a state prison, I mean. So, state prisons, that's where, like, the convicted murderers are, like, all that wow. stuff. Like, it's not, like, a federal thing, the federal the prison. The states have their own rules about Yeah, that. the states have their own rules, but it's also, like, be- really bad people end up there. Okay. So... As a correction officer, like, your job is to escort them in and out of their cells. Like, you have to oversee the free time when they're not in their cells. And you can, like, imagine the toll that takes on a person just day by day. They would go and see inmates. Yeah. And that would be their day. Especially if that's, like, his introduction to America. Like, yeah. Have and you been here before? Or? Well, okay. So my dad, he, he got a degree in the Philippines and he got an English degree. So he's a very smart person. Okay, cool. 
But the thing with degrees from other countries is they don't necessarily transfer in the United States because the United States has different like um, credential requirements, right. all that stuff. Even people who are like doctors in other countries, sometimes it's hard for them to, to practice in the United States. Yeah. For him, like he had a background in that, but he couldn't really get a job here because he was like a Gen X. So he didn't really like computers. He wasn't open to learning that I mean my mom was opening to, to learning computers because she was she had a background in computer science okay programming and stuff like that but think about like those times back then like these are those boxy computers right. with the floppy disk like stuff like that when you come to America and and then just that one period where from like 2005 to like 2011 it was just such a progressive movement in technology it's so hard to get a job when every job you're trying to look at, they're like, oh, do you know how to use computers? Can you learn? And there's such a high learning curve, especially with my parents who were didn't know English very well. Right. They were trying to live in the United States. They didn't have a lot of family. And you're trying to get a job to support your family and all that stress on you. So my dad eventually got a job at the state prison, and that was his life. He was there for, I think, maybe 10, 11 years but I'm pretty sure, like, he sustained a lot of PTSD. I was going to ask, like, what kind of effect that must have taken on their mental health and it, whether they talked about it at all. Yeah. Because so, you definitely felt the effects of it, for So sure. they never talked about it. Growing up, I knew it was there. But, like, I wasn't sure, like, if that was appropriate, like, if that was a taboo thing. Like, even in Asian culture, like, you don't talk about your mental health at all. Okay. Like, you're not really open to it. Like, you're open to, like, the spiritualness. And, like, my parents were Catholic. Like, I grew up Catholic. So, like, that religious aspect was there. But we never really talked about it. And I'm pretty sure my dad did sustain PTSD. And his job gave him free therapy because he was an officer. Um nice. But he never did it because it was kind of frowned upon. Like, I don't know why, but in adults, like, if you are in therapy, then there's something wrong with you, especially in Filipino culture. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't want to talk about that. You don't want to... You don't want to make it seem like there's something wrong with you because... I think that's definitely true for older generations. Mm-hmm. Like, our, our generation is pretty enlightened about that kind of thing, I think. Yeah, we're pretty easygoing with that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It's just another form of medical attention. Yeah, exactly. But for them, it's not. It's like there's something wrong with you, like you said. Yeah, there's if definitely there's a stigma wrong. with older generations. In terms of my dad, he was there, but he was never really present. I think he was just tired of fighting with my mom, like, growing up, like, with all the emotional abuse... And let me, like, explain what that meant was, um, like, emotional abuse was, like, I would come home and I would ask, like, hey, can I hang out with my friend? And then she would go on a tangent about how I'm I'm a disappointment and how I should stay home and study more or how I should be more like my brother or how I shouldn't even, like, scrape my knee because otherwise I can never get married. What? It was just, like, simple things that turned into big things that I never understood why, I felt like she saw me as something that would get in the way of my brother's success. It just felt like that sometimes. And you know, as a parent, like you're supposed to love your children equally. It didn't feel that way. So I would grow up and I would think, okay, like I just have to be out of the way, but be successful so I don't disappoint anybody. Like we would go visit other family members, like my aunt who got us the visas to live here. Like we live fairly close to them. So we would go visit them sometimes during Thanksgiving or Christmas and you know you have to talk about yourself to them and you can't be disappointment like you can't say like oh Abby didn't get straight A's this year or Abby scraped her knee or something like that like you can't say that you just have to say like oh my daughter got straight A's and she's perfect and she has friends but if my brother like you just you don't say anything bad about him And even if it's, like, something that's kind of obvious, oh, like, he's putting on more weight. Like, my brother fluctuated a lot with weight uh, growing up because, you know, Filipino food is great. (laughs) And um, he would stay inside all day, play video games. So he led, like, a very sedentary lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't do that. Like, I would read a book, but I would want to go outside, you know, get some fresh air. Yeah. I wasn't really, like, in terms of weight or anything like body image wise like I never thought anything was wrong but growing up after puberty like my mom like put into these like little seeds of into my mind like hey like you need to be prettier Mm -hmm. you need to be thinner you need to be worthy basically live like being seen by family and friends and other people like you have to be perfect in her eyes but then at the same time she's not applying those same criteria to your brother and no. so what are you supposed to how do you how are you supposed to feel i don't know but so i think like growing up like i sustained a really big 
inferiority complex. And I still feel like that. Like, whenever I have a big accomplishment, I think, do I deserve this? Do I really deserve this? Because, like, I tried hard, but, like, is there something even better I could do that would my mom would approve of? And it's just been so hard. When I went to college, when I was just away from her, away from my family, away from my brother, away from my dad, and I could just be myself. Right. Like, I could just, ref- like, internalize everything that I grew up with. It wasn't like, oh, like, one day, like, oh my gosh, like, I sustained emotional abuse my life, all my life. Like, it wasn't like that. It was just kind of gradual. Mm-hmm. Did you go to therapy in college, or? I did, but not until, like, my sophomore or junior year. My freshman year, um, I met Andrew. Right. So, we met on the first day of orientation. No wonder you had to go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like... It's just kind of like when I dated someone, like dating him, like I gradually understood that, hey, he's different from me. And why is that? Why do I feel these things? Like I would, I would talk to him and I'd be like, I'm so anxious. Or like, I did a great job on this test, but why do I feel so bad? Like, why do I feel like I'm not worth it? And he was like, I don't know, like, why? And as we got to know each other, I talked a lot about my my history, my parents, and he met my parents. And Andrew knew there was something off too. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's normal for me. And he's like, that's not normal, Abby. Like, your mom should not treat you like that. And I was like, oh, really? Like, that's not normal? After that encounter, I kind of just like looked back on my life and I'm like, oh, like, that's really not normal either. The worst of it was when I went home after like a holiday. So I was dating Andrew and I would go back home. And this was after I realized like things things aren't right anymore. So I would be home and I would kind of just get in the like the groove. Okay, like I'm home now. Like I'm with my brother, my parents. Just little stuff I noticed wouldn't be the same anymore. Like things I tolerated, I couldn't tolerate anymore. I would get into fights a lot with my mom. And at one point, I thought she was going to take me out of school because she was helping to pay for my tuition. Because at that point, I was, like, going through FAFSA and, like, um, government loans. And, you know, you need your parents, like, income level to, like, get that stuff done. So at one point, I thought she, like, wouldn't help me anymore. And I freaked out because, like... I'm going through college, like, this is, like, my dream. Like, I was in nursing school. So because you were becoming your own person, she... Yeah, (laughs) like, she said to me one time, she was like, I don't even know who you are anymore. And you know what I said to her? I was like, who do you think I am? And she had nothing else to say after that. Who who did you think you were? I don't even know. It sounded like you didn't really know. I didn't know myself. And I still don't know. Well, yeah, who who knows themselves really? But, but the thing, like when when parents say that, like it just it jars your life. They don't know who I am. Do they love me? Like mm-hmm. what what am I supposed to do when your parent says that to you? It just took a lot of self internalization. And then like fast forward, like Andrew and I were getting married. So Andrew, Christina's sister, and my husband. We, my brother. Your, my <laughs> husband, your brother, we started um, planning on getting married our sophomore year of college. So between sophomore and junior year, we got engaged and then it was a very fast engagement and then we got married within four months. Was it really four months? Yes. We got, so we got engaged in April oh and God. then we got married in August. Wait, so April and we got engaged end of April. Okay, April, May, June, July, August. So four months. We got engaged and got married in four months. That's craziness. But we'd been dating for two years. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just kind of thought you would get married, but I still... That's crazy how short of time that is. It did not seem that short. I mean, I kind of knew I would get married because I, I, like, really fast I knew Andrew was the one. I actually, like, went into college thinking, like, oh, I'm going to have so many boyfriends and all that stuff, but no, I met Andrew the first day, and then we dated, and now we're married. <laughs> did you, so, d- when you were in high school, living with your parents, did you date at all, and? I did in secret. Okay, but, I was gonna ask, because that doesn't sound like the type of thing that your mom would be cool with. But they, they weren't, like, real, you know, because when you're dating, like, you meet them outside of school, you go on dates, 
But no, it was like the kind of dating like you have while you're in school. I mean, I feel like that kind of dating where you meet them outside of school happens like as an adult, sure, but I think it's pretty normal for everyone to meet people through school. No, I mean like they you date like I mean like going on dates, like actual dates, oh. like going to football games, like going to McDonald's yeah. or something like that. There like was none of that for you. There was none of that. Like I could if I had a boyfriend or something, like I could only see them during school hours. Okay. And that was the only time because I lived pretty far away from my school, my high school. No so transportation of your own, I'm guessing. Not at all. Like the only times I could see them was if I was at school. Okay. At that point, I was already kind of like in my abusive stage. Like I was a victim and I didn't know I was a victim. So I was like blocking out all my emotions. Like I didn't have any boyfriends in high school, really. Like they were mostly middle school. Like, yeah, I had crushes in, middle, in high school, but none of them ever really happened or anything except during senior high school, I started dating this black guy. And boy, like, you can imagine how my mom was, like, like, I didn't think, like, you know how, like, white people can be racist, but no, other, other races can be racist, too. So my mom really didn't like the fact that I was even dating this guy, and we went to prom together, and he was a really nice guy. He was, like, nerdy. He would play, like, Super Smash Brothers every day, and he wasn't, like, a bad kid, Mm -hmm. but she just thought because he was black, he was dangerous. Oh, my God. She was stereotyping him. And I... I stood up for him. I was like, hey, like, he's a great guy, and he's just nice to me. We went to prom together. Can I just hang out with him? And she wouldn't let me, so I kind of just had to sneak and lie. My friend would cover for me, and we would, like, I would say, like, I'm going to my friend's house, but really I would go to his house. But it was, like, his parents were there, and he had a lot of siblings, too, and we were doing... We were going to school functions. And they were accepting of you. Yeah, and, like, it was like this was normal, And even one time, like, I was like, hey, like, I want to go to this birthday party unrelated to the guy I was dating. So I went there and I told my mom, like, hey, like, can you pick me up here? This will be done here. And I would have to give her her all the contact information of the mom. Like, she was, like, just controlling. And I didn't have a cell phone. So I couldn't, like, text her or call her, like, to say, like, hey, plans change. Like, I'm going home with this person. No, like, I had to wait for her... And I told her, like, it would be done by this time, but she wouldn't come for a while. I was just sitting on the front porch, and this um, girl I knew, she was like, hey, do you want to ride home? I know your mom said she's pick you up. I was like, no, I had to stay here with, for my mom. Like, she's coming, I know. And, like, 30 minutes passed, and no one came, and she, they were like, okay, do you want, like, let's take you home. Yeah. And it was, at that point, it was raining. And they're like, oh, do you want to just stay inside? And I was like, no, I'm going to wait out here. Because I knew, like, if I wasn't there when she was here, like, I'd be in so much trouble. Yeah. And that sounds so fucked up from an outsider's point yeah. of view. But, like, I knew, like, I was so scared. Like, if I didn't follow directions, like, I would be in so much trouble. Which is, you know, totally abusive if you look back on it. But yeah. But you didn't... It just seemed normal to you, like you said. Yeah. So I felt the emotions. I just didn't think... I didn't follow through on them. Like I felt, I felt sad. Yeah, process them. Like I felt sad. I felt angry. But it's not like I I went up to my mom and said, "Hey, like, why did you yell at me? Like, I didn't feel good." I would just like take it, and then I would go home to and go in my room and cry. Okay. And then I would like think up scenarios in my mind of like a, a great life. Like so you a, had, like, your own a fantasy world you kind of retreated into? Yeah, I kind of blocked out all the bad stuff, and, like, I would go to my room, and I would be with by myself, and I would just imagine if, if my life was good, or, like, if a scenario would change, like, if my mom didn't yell at me, like, how that would be, and then it made me feel better. And I think that's when I started, like, fantasizing about, like, if I was gone. I was a kid living under my mom's roof, and I, like, didn't have a job, I didn't have a car... I was just in high school I was so powerless and I started thinking like what if I jumped out of a window like oh my gosh like I know this is bad but I would keep doing it like I never would like um go through with anything I didn't do anything physical like I never like planned anything like suicidal or anything but I would I would think about it like I would think about it a lot so like I would just think about what if I had like a razor like mm-hmm. what would I do or like what if I just walked in the street and I didn't do anything and I just get ran over I, w- I had suicidal ideation right. a lot and I didn't think it was bad well yeah if you're the one having it it doesn't seem bad like that's why people do it it was really it was easy because I would go home to my room and I would think like this is my reality like what would I what would I do if 
I was gone. Like, would anyone be sad? And at one point, I was like, no one would be sad if I was gone. And I was like, what if I told my mom? But she's the one, she's the reason I'm thinking these thoughts. Yeah. And my, also my brother, like, he didn't help either. Like, he was actually, like, they would gang up on me. Like, she would start it, or he would start it, and then she would agree with him, or he would agree with her. So I was like, internalize all these things, and, like, think of all these thoughts that I never would go through with, but I had them. Like, it was my secret. Like, I would know about my thoughts. No one else would know, and so it was kind of like a comfort and, like, if I told anyone else, I feel like I would be in so much trouble. Like, you might feel like you're burdening other people by saying something like that. Like, yeah. I think about dying a lot. Like, I don't want to worry people with this. But also, sometimes... Like, I fantasize a lot of times that I'm gone. Like, exactly. is that good or bad? Like, you just don't say that to people because it's just not something you say. Yeah, and especially when, when you're younger, it's really hard to articulate that sometimes. Like, you yeah, don't really like know what, how to ask for help. Like, what do you say? Like, I'm thinking bad things. You can't really describe it to someone and then they would help you. Like, how would they help you? Like, that's what I would think. Like, At least giving you a voice, like let, giving you the space to say those things and yeah. to, to feel safe enough to say those things in the first place. I, yeah. I think that's so important, but you obviously were trapped. Like, you couldn't yeah say any of that so I didn't so so you after you graduated high school and went to college you started recognizing that yeah your situation wasn't normal that it wasn't and I had freedom like the sweet sweet taste of freedom that I could have and college like a private college especially like you're paying for it so you can get the most out of it whatever you want I went to a small rural university in Vermont. So it was in the middle of nowhere. You had to go, you had to drive at least 20 minutes on the highway and then you'd get off and then you would drive through the countryside basically and then you were there. It gave me time to really just learn, absorb everything I came there for because I went to school knowing like I had to do my best. Like I can't waste this opportunity. Like not many people in my shoes can go to college. A lot of first generation children like it's hard for them to get an opportunity like this to go to college and learn something and have a vocation where they're proud of. So I did that. But then like I also in the back of my mind, I knew like, I am so happy here. I thought like, why am I happy here? I don't think the bad thoughts anymore. Not quite as often. I had like low times, like I had a bad test or something and I, I would think that. But like, it was like almost never I was going to ask you if any of the, like you said, you had a lot of anger and sadness earlier, but you had to suppress them. Like, did Mm -hmm. you, when you encountered those same emotions in college, how did you deal with them differently? It was actually because of Andrew. Okay. (laughs) So he helped me, like, express myself. He acted like my punching bag. Like, I love you, Andrew, but, like, you kind of were that for me. I would express these emotions and he would get overwhelmed because he didn't know what I was feeling, like how I would process things. So when I got angry, like I exploded. It was almost like he thought I was going into like a panic attack because, you know, panic attacks, like you don't know like how they'll manifest. So sometimes I manifested them as I would like hyperventilate, I would cry a lot, or I would just get really, really pissed and I would be so livid at him and he wouldn't know why. And I would say sorry, and I thought, like, this is, like, the emotional trauma I had with my mom. Like, I'm literally becoming like her, and I knew, like, something had to change. Well, because that's all you were taught. Like, that's how she dealt with things. Yeah, like, when she was mad, she would explode, and, like, that's the only way I knew how. Like, I'm me. Like, I can do whatever I want. I have freedom, so I can explode on someone if I wanted. But, like, I didn't address it right right away. Um, It wasn't until, like, my sophomore year getting married and then like a bunch of stuff happened and so I knew I had to go to therapy because like all those things so I went to therapy and it really did help I didn't know what therapy was it was just like oh just go in there and talk to someone and then like you'll you'll just keep going that's how everyone always says you need to talk to you someone. need to talk to someone but so, I was like so scary but like what like everyone was telling me was therapy was great and it would change your life but it didn't feel like it I went once a week sometimes twice a week one time like I had a panic attack and I had to go see a therapist like really or one of the counselors at school like they were free and it really did help like I think going to therapy was really good for me things were able to be explained to me like all my thoughts, all my feelings, 
I think these were the words that really changed me personally was when they said like it's okay to have those thoughts and like when that happened like I was like bald crying <laughs> and like when whenever I had an appointment with my therapist at school they knew to have the tissues ready like they had like two boxes like they had the little square ones he would have them ready for me and like nice. have the trash he was like okay here's your trash here's your tissue like let's let's have this appointment like have this talk you had a lot to get out I did. Years to make up for. I did, and I and I talked to my therapist about my life, about my mom, and I talked about Andrew, like getting married so young, still in college. Like I had a lot of pressure. Like I knew I had anxiety. Like it's kind of apparent, but I I'm not diagnosed. Okay. So they told me I had the option to be diagnosed for anything. Like I would get seen and be diagnosed if I wanted that, but it would be outside the college tuition. Like I would have to pay that myself okay. with outside insurance. So and you weren't on your parents' insurance plan? I was, but... You didn't want them to know about it? I didn't want them to know. Especially if going to see a therapist and getting diagnosed, like, if they saw that, what would happen? Like, you know, like, well, I was... that's a good question. What would happen? Like, even though I was in college, like, I was still dependent on them. Mm-hmm. So I never did that. And I really do want to because I really want to find out what's really up with me. People say, like, oh, I have anxiety, I have depression, and they they know what they need to work on. Not all the time, though. I mean, but it's just nice to know, like, like what is wrong with you? Yeah, you like, know? to have it on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Just to say, like, this is what I have. Being validated, if you will. Yeah, because, like, whenever I meet someone, they're like, oh, I have depression. I'm like, oh, okay, like... I think I have depression too, but I don't know. Like, you just don't say that. I mean, uh, I have mixed feelings about that because misdiagnoses happen. Yeah. And also, I think if you feel like you're depressed and it affects your life negatively, mm-hmm. then you totally should be validated as someone who has depression. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. One of my guests in a previous episode was saying that, like, we were talking about her eating disorder, I think, and mm-hmm. she's never been officially diagnosed, and she was saying how she feels like she doesn't really have a problem because no one's ever told her. And yet it affects 100% of her thoughts, all her energy every day. It affects her really negatively, but she still doesn't feel like it's real because no one told her that oh I know it's real but like I want there to be a black and white like I have depression I don't have depression I have anxiety I do have anxiety I feel like you and me are really similar in that things feel safest when they're black and white yes because there are days when I'm really happy and I feel normal but then in the back of my mind I feel like a suicidal ideation coming on I'm like oh no like this shouldn't happen like do I have depression like does this happen with depression like or is this just something that happens with normal people like you don't know but again then you're comparing yourself to other people like maybe it doesn't happen with other people but it's happening with you yeah like what does that mean for you Mm -hmm. abby well i almost said your last name Uh, and by (laughs) extension my last Uh, name (laughs) just out myself right now oh just out us yeah anyway so going through nursing school it's a clinical profession and I learned about psychiatry, I learned about psychology when I was a freshman, and that's when, like, I got opened up, like, I need to talk about this, like, it's a chemical imbalance, blah, 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 but sometimes it's not, like, all these types of things, like, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, all these things. What was your first exposure to all that? Was my first exposure, like, these things existed, like, it wasn't just, like, a secret myth or like yeah. something you never talk about no like these things existed and they're in textbooks and college can be such a liberating environment for someone yeah. who's grown up in a more repressive one like that like because yeah. it is an open-minded environment it's a most... scholarly environment yeah, that's yeah exactly that's like exactly right everything is written in text everything is in articles everything is in a database i think the big difference is that you're actually encouraged to debate and to, encouraged to, to learn encouraged to learn whereas you know environments like the ones we were like the public education system yeah you're discouraged to go away from the box and Mm -hmm. like challenge the status quo yeah it really opens you up just going to college and being away from family so yeah like I learned about psychology I learned about psychiatry and all the drugs associated with psychology and like all the side effects and the non-pharmacological ways you can help someone with a disorder and I was like, well, I can't get these things unless I know what I have. So that's kind of like why I wanted to know, yeah. like why I wanted to be diagnosed. Because you can't go in a doctor's office and say like, oh, well, I think I have this. Can I just get yeah. like 
I don't know, like, tetracycline, please. Like, you can't say that. Like, they have to know your diagnosis. They have to see you. And that takes money. But that's something you'd like to pursue down the road. Mm -hmm. Once I start my RN job, and I actually found out that my RN license just posted today so I can start really soon. And once I get the insurance from my nursing job, I'm definitely going to pursue, like, therapy and, like, getting a diagnosis. Because, like, it's just nice to know, like, I have it. Yeah. And you can always, like, recover. It's not, like, what defines you. So, what does recovery mean to you? Recovery means, like, being able to talk about it and... Because sometimes when I see my mom, like, I'm triggered, you know? Like, our relationship is a lot better now because I don't live with her. And we actually did have a falling out right after I got married and we moved in together. And, like, we didn't talk for, like, three months. The last thing, um that happened between her and I was like she came over to our apartment like unannounced and you know like we're like we're newlyweds at that time like you don't just barge in yeah like it was really awkward like I was in my pajamas my pjs so they were just there and like they were like why aren't you calling me like why aren't you texting me like we want to be in your life blah 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 like you you're like a different person now like who are you I'm like well, like, and then this is, this is the point in my life where, like, if this ever, this conversation ever happened to me, like, I was kind of, like, rehearsing it in my mind, like, if my mom did this again, like, what would I say to her? And, like, that, that point when she came unannounced, I knew what I had to say. So I kind of just, like, let out all my feelings, all the things that were unsaid for so many years, like, you prefer your son over me, like, your other daughter, like, you're supposed to love them, like, equally, but you never did, like, I always tried my best for you, but you always liked him more, and, like, the whole time, she was just so shocked, like, she'd never thought, like, she was doing anything wrong. Are you serious? I was just, like, I am my own person, like, you can't control me anymore, like, this is my life now, and she was, like, but I'm your mom, like, we're family. I'm, like, like, how can I call you my family when you treat me this way? Like, had you ever told her how you were feeling over No. Do you think she was honestly surprised by it? I don't know. I don't know if she ever really, like, realized what I was saying was true or did she really like listen to me or was she just there to so that I could finish talking and she could say her words so what were her words like not a lot mostly just crying so she Um, didn't try to defend herself well she tried but you know all the words I was saying were true and she couldn't deny that Like, she couldn't say, no, I didn't, I never treated you this way, like, what are you talking about? Like, she never said that, like, she was, like, she would always just say, but I love you, like, we're family, like, we're family, I love you. Like, that's the only thing she could say, because what could she say at that point? So, honestly, you think that was the first time she was hearing that side of you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Point of view from you? Because they were coming to our roof. Right. So, we could kick them out, like, it wasn't like she had to stay, and I couldn't have a say in it. Like, this was our property like we could kick them out we could call the police on them like there's nothing stopping us so like it felt like I had that upper hand and it gave me like that confidence boost Mm -hmm. and it's not like I wanted to blast her but she walked into that situation yeah no warning no warning and just demanding all these things like call me like love me like what are you doing why aren't you saying anything to me like I called you like I'm a newlywed I'm an adult now I'm in college like I don't want to call my mom every single day. And what would we talk about? Exactly. Like, what would you say? Like, It's like when you were lived with them, did you talk to them all the time? No. Like, no, exactly. So why would she expect that to change? Exactly. And it's just... Which makes me think, like, you say it, it came out of the blue to her, but how could you not notice that your daughter is unhappy in that situation? Yeah, I think it's just like... Part of me wants to play the devil's advocate and be like, well, maybe it was a surprise to her and maybe she does feel like a victim in that case. Like, she didn't know, Mm -hmm. but... And you are did kind of spring it on her, but also, like, what's she done to change since then? Like, you said your relationship's a little better. Yeah, and I think it's because of how... She lives in Virginia, too. Like, we all, like, live in, like, the South, Virginia, North Carolina area. Okay. But it's not like she can come every day if she wanted to. Like, she's, like, two or three hours away at the most. That's a sweet spot. Or at the minimum. It's a sweet spot. Like, she can come, but, like, it's not like it's easy just if she wants to drop by, so... But after that, you went three months without talking. hmm So, this is in October um, that 
year after we got married. So we missed like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. And that's like really important in Asian culture just to be with family. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised. And so I had no contact with her and nothing at all. And she didn't try to reach out to you? No. It was kind of just like a standstill. Like, I said my words. Right. And... Now it's your turn. Now it's my turn to just have my way. It was either she accepted me and what I wanted and what I needed, like the space and the validation, or she wasn't going to be in my life anymore. And I was fine with that because... Mm. I had Andrew and I had you guys, like, my new family. Like, it's so thrilling when you get married because you have, like, this whole other family that you can call your family. Unless they suck. Unless they (laughs) suck. But, like, you guys have, like, really been, like, a new family for me, which is really nice. And it's, like, such a deviation from my family because, Mm -hmm. obviously, like, there's some issues, a lot of issues. So I kind of just, like, waited it out. I was like, okay, is she going to, like do something like what is she gonna do and like so what happened in the uh directly after you told her those things i skipped ahead a little bit sorry at directly after um she kind of just like cried and then it kind of just like from there it was like really like silence and then they just kind of like they left in a huff so your dad was there too yeah but he didn't say a lot like he was just kind of there as a presence i guess to help her were you mad that he didn't interject himself or was was this between you and your mom this was between me and my mom but afterwards i like was mad at him too because he was always just a bystander and he was a bystander at that time too i did have some like feeling towards him where like I wish he would talk to me too, but he never did. Like, does he love me at all if he's just watching his wife, like, talk to his daughter this way and well, treating their children this way? Also, how much of that do you think has to do with culture? Like, the the men not opening up and not sharing those kind of things? Yeah. Like, I'd be curious. To... I mean, and my parents were really unconventional anyway because yeah. my mom was, like, the man of the house. It was, like, a matriarchal family thing, but... Filipinos are like patriarchal. patriarchal I don't know and I'm also like culturally separated from that because I didn't grow up in the Philippines all I knew was where I was like in America okay in the school system like I was learning what American children were learning but I would go home and I would my mom would cook all this like great Filipino food and she would talk to me in, in the language and we would like sometimes do the cultural stuff but like it was just like such a divide like am I really Filipino like or am I American like who am I uh, uh, going to college and then graduating and being on your own do you feel like you have kind of been able to own your identity culturally as well as an, as an individual yes I do have a better understanding of who I am as a person and I have realized that I am both Filipino and American yeah um like when I see someone who's saying like they're Asian American usually that means they're either half or they're born into America like in America but I never really saw myself as an Asian American until now because I always thought like oh I have to be born here or I have to be like a half person like a half Asian half American but no that's not the case and it's really helped me just root myself down because like I've married into um, a non-Asian family and um, I myself am Asian so it's like kind of finding the balance of things are there ways you're gonna keep involving yourself in your culture going forward yeah especially um in terms of food like I, I don't think I'll ever not like Filipino food and Asian food um just like knowing that I have this heritage I can go both ways which is really nice um even though in my own heritage like it's been a really bumpy road like even both ways like American life and um Asian life I just have to had to live both worlds it's kind of like I have a superpower and then I have like an identity it's just it goes both ways like if I wanted to be American I could I can and if I want to be Asian I I also can and it's just like it's nice to know that I have two different places I can be right now and um in terms of right now with my mom and I um it's definitely been a lot better and in fact she's actually visiting me on Sunday because I just passed my NCLEX my board of nursing exam so now which is amazing yes I'm so happy for you I was so happy because how long have you been working on it um since I graduated so you need to graduate nursing school to take it and 
I actually didn't pass the first time, so it was, like, devastating, and, like, I also, that was a low point in my life, too, and, like, I just had to get through that. After that point, like, I thought, like, I wasn't worth anything, and I guess a lot of my mental health has to do with, like, what I accomplish in life, because Mm -hmm. if not, then I feel like I'm not worth anything, so I didn't know what to think of myself, because, like, people are saying, like, oh, you can try again, and you can, but it was just expensive to keep retaking it it was like 275 dollars each time to pay I was kind of banking on taking it for the first time in passing and then when I didn't it was just so emotionally like stressful because first of all like right now I'm unemployed I just graduated college I'm trying to get into the workforce and I'm trying to get the license I need that I went to school for. And it's just this one more obstacle that I had to get through before I start working as an RN. So when I couldn't do that at first, I was like, am I really worth it? Like, do I have the what it takes to be a nurse? Like, I don't see myself as a nurse anymore. Do you think you placed value on your accomplishments because of the culture you grew up in? In some level, everyone does that too. Like right. people see their what they've done in life and what they've accomplished, and they see like, oh, I'm doing so well in my job. Like I have a nice apartment. Like I'm settled. I'm safe. And then people are a little happier. But when you're not so stable, that's when a lot of things go wrong. They have a snowball effect. Too. Yeah, like one little thing goes wrong. Then it makes another thing go wrong, mm-hmm. and nothing is ever just isolated. Yeah, like, if you have problems with money, then you can't get food, and then you can't get health care, and then you can't do things you want, and you can't pay your bills. Like, are you going to have a shelter? Like, it's kind of like I've had to grow up so fast, because after college and getting married, like, I got married at 20 years old, and most people would think that I'm stupid for doing that or I'm reckless, but no, it's just, I knew I was ready, and I knew that from here on out, like, I'm an adult and I can't just be sitting around all day b- pretending to be a little kid, and that's important to me. Like, I don't like depending on people mm-hmm. because it makes me feel I'm vulnerable, and I never want to be vulnerable because of how I grew up. Like, being vulnerable is so scary because... Would you say being vulnerable is is bad? I think being vulnerable in terms of stability is bad. Like, if you are vulnerable economically, that's really bad because obviously money is... Everything's not about money and... But it doesn't hurt. But (laughs) now that I finally passed my NCLEX and I can be a nurse now, like, I have more hope for the future and I can finally start working and, you know, make good money and actually have health care and get the therapy I want and the care I want. And in terms of my mom, yeah, so she's coming over to celebrate my NCLEX. I was going to ask, well, um, how did you guys end up reconciling? I ended up getting a birthday present in April. And then I just got like a text saying like, I'm sorry. And then I kind of just ignored it. So she contacted me first, and then I was just talking to Andrew, and I was like, what should I do? Like, should I forgive her? It's just so hard. I was just at that point in my life where I kind of didn't know who I I was religiously. Like, people are always saying, you know, forgive people, um, and that's like a Christian thing. It's Mm -hmm. a Catholic thing. I didn't know what to do, so I kind of just ignored it for a, a while until my birthday came in April. And then I got, like, a care package from my mom, and then it was just so thoughtful, and, like, she would write a card and say, like, no matter what happens, like, we'll always be your family, and I've just been missing just that part of my life, so I, like, took the steps to, like, call her, and, like, it wasn't like I called her and then everything was hunky-dory, like, no, I was like, do you know I'm calling? Like, do you understand what I want from you? I, I want space, but I still love you. Just, I need to be separate. You can't call me every day. You can't visit just out of the blue. You have to let me know because I'm not comfortable with you just coming to my apartment unannounced. Yeah, because you are independent and you mm-hmm. worked really hard to be that way. I mean, we've had a lot of good progress. Every time I like I text her, like I don't shoot the gun. Like I, I have to reply right away. No, I kind of just wait a day. And I'm like, okay, what should I say? And yeah, like it's just been better, That's but good. it's not perfect. 
I mean, what is ever perfect, especially relationships with parents? I think yeah. they're just ever changing. They're never going to look exactly the way you want. Mm-hmm. It's never going to go back to how it used to be. Which is a good thing. Yeah. But, you know, I still had good times, like, when it wasn't bad. The cycle of abuse is they love you, and then it's, like, the violent phase. And then there's this phase called the moonlight phase or the honeymoon phase where an abuser will um, say sorry, like, give you gifts, give you affection, and then it'll keep going. So I kind of broke that when I went away, and I realized that from here on out, I'm just more cautious about how things lead up because... It's not a black and white thing. Oh, like I'm going to be with my mom today and she's going to act like how she was when I was growing up. No, it's not like that. You kind of just have to gauge out like a conversation and think, oh no, this is going to go the wrong path. Let me just redirect the the conversation. Which, it, you know, is very mature of you. It's, uh-huh. it's really easy to revert back to being a child when you're yeah. hanging out with your parents. Like I'm visiting now from Seattle. And, uh, and it's easy and for it's... parents to make you feel like a kid again. <laughs> exactly. Because when they look at you that's all they see yeah they see like they raised you but and it's hard for them to see you as your own person and not just their kid yeah i mean if you think about it you knew you've known your parents your whole life Mm -hmm. but your parents have never known them you your whole life yeah their whole lives their whole life so like they've lived their life and then they had you and then there's a whole portion of their life that where you don't know you don't exist yeah they do not know about it but you don't exist like you never existed until they made you yeah that it's kind of mind-blowing yeah like i just have these existential crises like i was once a fetus and now i am a person and with my own thoughts yeah, nowadays, like, I don't have suicidal ideation. When I find that I do, then I'll immediately go talk to someone. And that someone is usually Andrew. When I have an anxiety attack or something, like, I'm overwhelmed. He, like, helps me breathe. And, like, he's just my person. Like, I think everyone needs that kind of person in their life where they know that they can go to them and it'll be okay. Totally. And it doesn't have to be romantic, per se, but yeah. I think... And, you know... Like, I go to my cat. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I have a cat. And I go to her and um, and she's just like... She just purrs and chirps. My cat chirps, guys. And <laughs> I love her. And she's also that thing, t- that person for me. And I think my cat is a person, yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm glad that um, cats are included mm-hmm. in the term of people. Because, yes, and um, dogs. Yeah. And also one time a turtle. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, and a hamster. If you have a fuzzy breathing thing in your life, um, that's your person. Or reptile. Okay. <laughs> or, or bird. Um, your person can be whatever you want it to be, guys. It can be a rock. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's stretching it. Anyway. Just something that you can relax with. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like, no one can say, like, I'm all better now. Like, I think in the end, you just have to keep moving forward and realize how much progress you've made. Totally. And just stick to that mindset before you revert. But also realizing that when you, if you do revert, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, and sometimes you need that. Like, you know how when you're having a bad day and everything just sucks... But you want it to suck. And you just go to someone and say, like, hey, I'm having a bad day. I want to vent to you. And then they say, oh, it'll all be better. No, I just want my day to suck. Just give me a treat. That's one thing that I also hate is when you're, like, people try to fix you and they throw advice at you. But you don't have the energy to deal with that. You can't even comprehend fixing your life sometimes. You just want to know that someone is listening and understands what you're going through. Yeah, nobody wants to be sad, but it's also, you can't be happy without knowing that there's sadness. So just like, let me be sad or let me have a sucky day and then I can move on with my life. But it's just that validation that, yes, I am feeling this way and it's real, which is leagues away from where I used to be, where I would have that feeling and I would be like, this is not normal. So I've come a long way from that, like a lot of people have. Awesome. Yay! (laughs) Do you have any pieces of advice for people who might be in situations like you? Growing up in a culture where they can't talk about this kind of stuff? Yeah, I would say just a lot of things are unsaid for a reason because no one has the courage to speak out. 
but if you think that your family is like this forever, it's not like that. I mean, my mom, like, she's more open to the fact that, hey, people have feelings and they want to talk about it. So if you're in the situation where, you know, you're Asian or whatever culture and you feel that you can't talk to your family, I mean, just bring it up, you know, like, hey, mom, like, I'm having a bad day or hey, dad, I'm having a bad day. Like, I just want to talk and I don't want you to brush me off. And if they don't want to talk, then you did the right thing by bringing it up. But I never brought it up and it was just not good. With everything, just having the courage to say it out loud instead of internalizing it. And also having thoughts that you think are bad and then just just burying it is not always good. Like you just have to talk to someone or something. Bottling things up is never good for any situation, even if you're not thinking about suicidal thoughts. Just like having anger or any negative feelings and then bottling that up is not ever good mm-hmm. for anyone. Yeah, just tell your cat all your problems. Yeah. I did a really good job of hiding my internal problems growing up. Like, no one ever thought I had a problem. And people are always surprised when they hear that, like, I used to think about suicide. It's just you never know what's hiding underneath, like, a smile. Yeah, for sure. So just check up on people and say, like, hey, how's your day? Or how have you been? But not the shallow... How oh my god, I hate that. Whenever someone says, like, hey, how are you? And then I'm like, mm, do I want to spill my whole life and my whole mental issues? No, I'm just going to say, no, I'm great. I mean, I work at a cafe, and there's been a couple times where people have responded to that question with, <laughs> not great, actually. And it's always, like, a breath of fresh air. Yeah. It, I, and it always you know, encourages me to ask further questions like, oh no, what's wrong? And there's been a few times where we've had great conversations and then other times I get the sense that they don't want to talk about it and that's fine, but I'm happy that they said that Mm -hmm. so I know not to be obnoxious, you know? Like, I wish more people could be honest about that kind of thing. Like, that greeting is just, I think it's an American thing. And really? I, I don't think people, like, even in Canada, I don't know, like, in Asia, like, they just say hi. Like, hey. And if you're really prepared to hear the answer of how are you, then... Don't you, ask. Then don't ask. <laughs> That's my advice. I just, it's my pet peeve. Like, people say, how are you? Maybe we should challenge all the listeners to respond to that honestly once this week. Yes. If you get asked, how are you, even like at a cafe or a restaurant, then really say what's on your mind and you'll be surprised how people react. Oh, I'm kind of, I'm going to do it too and now I'm kind of nervous. Do it for one week and see how it pans out. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> this is such a whirlwind. I don't... <laughs> Guys, we were interrupted like three four times. times. Three, four, four times. Yeah, we started and stopped this recording like four times. Uh, we had to run errands and stuff. I'm wearing a totally different outfit now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been an adventure, but we're finally done. And I'm super excited that we got to talk about all this stuff. Yes. Right now, we're about to have a game night with pictures. All, all of my siblings. Everyone's there. Yeah, so seven of us, Abby, and then my brother's bringing his girlfriend. So it's going to be crazy. Oh, so exciting. Yes. So we're going to do that. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And let me know how your challenge went. What should we call it? Um, the honest how are you challenge. Cool. Um, we'll, we'll put a pin in that yeah <laughs> alright bye bye